What page are we on? We're on page 13. I was looking for a man's man, but he's sitting right with me here, so I'm going to ask Mr. Uh, Mr. Martin to... Um, to give us the compassionate one when we get to it. You know what that's all about. We're looking for a robust, harak, I mean, kind of deal here. Are you leaving or staying? Standing. Okay. On page 13 in the top right-hand corner, we read the little Huber for, um, for Shabbat. Together with me? Huber. Huber, yes. A song of ascent. When Adonai will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai is done greatly with these. Adonai is done greatly with us. We were gladdened. O Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who tearfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along weeping, but we turn in exaltation, a bearer of the sheaves. The paragraph below, together. May my mouth declare the praise of Adonai, and may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, we are prepared and ready to perform the positive commandment of Birkat Hamazon. For it is said, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. How many people ate and are satisfied? Outstanding. Praise God for that. Gentlemen, let us bless. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Okay, you're going to have to read like a line ahead to stay with it here. I'm going to look for some robustness, okay? <sighs> Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless our God, he of whose we have eaten. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten, and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten, and through whose goodness we live. Blessed, blessed is he, and blessed is his name. Together, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world in his goodness, with grace, with kindness, and with mercy. He gives nourishment to all flesh, for his kindness is eternal. And through his great goodness we have never lacked, and may we never lack nourishment for all eternity. For the sake of his great name, because he is God, who nourishes and sustains all, and benefits all, and he prepares food for all his creatures that he has created. As it is said, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed are you, Adonai, who nourishes all. Thank you, Peter, for keeping us on track there. You know, we like to just kibitz just a little bit between these paragraphs so that we can all take a breath, swallow, and all that. That's why I do that. Next paragraph together. We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you have given to our forefathers as a heritage, a desirable, good, and spacious land, because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you made known to us, 
for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted us, and for the provision of food which you nourish and sustain us constantly in every day, in every season, and in every hour. Now, um, you notice in the pink box, you got the Purim deal, right? So that you want to take advantage of because you get one day a year to do that. When does Purim happen? Tomorrow. It happened. It is to it is tomorrow, but it starts, of course, in the evening. Yes. So at sundown, it is Purim. Next page, top of page seventeen, together with me. For all Adonai our God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity, as it is written. And you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land that he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. Amen. And I've uh, had the opportunity to be reminded uh, to bless God after I eat, especially by Joshua of late. And uh, this last line you see in, um, in italics is, uh, is the short little guide that you can do if you don't have the book with you, you don't remember it all. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. And all God's people said, Amen. Next. Yes, sir. If you should like to be reminded after each meal, there's a website, beercotreminder.com. Sends you an email. Or you can subscribe to their Twitter feed. How about that? What right man thought that up? It's my brother-in-law. How about that? Gregory? Ow. How about that? Together with me, have mercy, we beg you, Adonai, our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us, and our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not evil, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their loans, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we not feel inner shame, nor be humiliated forever and ever. First paragraph in the pink, together. May it please you, Adonai, our God, give us rest through your commandments, and through the commandments of the seventh day is great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you, to rest on it and to be content on it in love as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment. And show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, city of your holiness, for you are the master of salvations and master of consolations. How is it that Adonai, our God, will show us the consolation of Zion? He will send Messiah Yeshua back for a second time. For a second time. That's exactly right. Amen. We're at the bottom of the page. Together, rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. Top of the next page. Together. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Jacob, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. 
For every single day he did good, he does good, and he will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, he is bountiful with us, and he will forever be bountiful with us. With grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may he never deprive us. Wow, I like that one. You'll be our compassionate one presenter? Yeah, so thank you, compassionate sir. speaker. Yes, <laughs> Please do it with compassion. The compassionate one. May he reign over us forever. The compassionate one. May he be blessed in heaven and on earth. The compassionate one. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. The compassionate one. May he sustain us in honor. The compassionate one. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. The compassionate one. May he send us abundant blessing to this house and upon this table at which we have eaten. The compassionate one. May he send us Elijah the prophet. He is remembered for good to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. Pink. May it be God's will that this host not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil impediment reign over his handiwork, and may no semblance of sin or iniquitous thoughts attach itself to him from this time and forever. And whenever you're in this house, you really want to pray that with intensity and true feeling. <laughs> The, uh, the next paragraph. The compassionate one. May he bless my mother in his house and the lady in his house, them, their house, their family, and all that is theirs. The compassionate one. May he bless me, my wife, and my children, and all that is mine, ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing, and let us say, Amen top of page 21 there's there's no breed law going on together on high may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace may we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man the compassionate one. May he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and rest day for all eternal life. The compassionate one. May he cause us worthy of the days of Messiah and life for the world to come. He who is a tower of salvation to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his sights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. May I respond, Amen. Together on the bottom paragraph. Fear Adonai, you his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, and Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give his might to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Please pass your books back to Gregory. While you're doing that, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you don't have... Uh, 
the prophets with you. Uh, we'll try and, and read as much of that for you as we can. This is the 20th portion of the year. It is the portion Tetzaveh. And uh, this, is, uh, this is the second of the two special Sabbaths before Purim. The first one was two weeks ago, and it is Shabbat Shekelim, Shekelim the Sabbath of Shekels. And it's to remind us ahead of time, a little calendar planning, that we've got the month of Nisan, the head of the months, the beginning of the year coming, and we should be prepared with that half-shekel tax in order to uh, help with the work of the tabernacle and or temple. And two weeks later, on the Sabbath, just before Purim, Purim is what day? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The Sabbath right before Purim would be today, today and it's Shabbat Zahor which means the Sabbath to remember. remember. And we're remembering to blot out the memory of who? Amalek. Right. Okay. And yet, what did he do? I forgot. No, what did he do? He hit the stragglers when we came out of Egypt. That's exactly right. He hit the stragglers, the young ones, the weak, the infirmed. Okay. What was it? Was Perm this year actually what about... Uh, the 14th of the day would have hit, was it yesterday? Or um, are you saying that there was a calendar? Uh, no, Purim never falls on Shabbat. Well, but that's because we fasted on Thursday. Yes. Yeah, fast would have been right. today. Yeah. Yes, that's fast would have been today. today. So we did yes. on Thursday. Yes. yes. Right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, intercalation is the uh, word for moving stuff around that the, uh, we do to make sure that we can celebrate, should celebrate, and should also maintain the uh, Shabbats. Okay, so in, in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 15, uh, I'm going to quote you what has been quoted to me from many people attending church. Has the Lord as great delight, verse 22, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In this way, Samuel declared all sacrifices. <laughs> that's, yeah, in the, yeah, that's exactly right, Juliana. In this way, people would teach us that sacrifices were never God's intent. He doesn't want sacrifices. He wants obedience. Now, this is a, a little bit of a double sword for the church folks because when it comes to obedience to the commands of God, they, includes that. Yeah, they, they tend to be a little... Picky-choosy. Picky-choosy, I like that. It's a technical term, but picky-choosy works here. Yeah, they, they tend to pick and choose what they want to obey and what they don't want to obey, toss what they want and not. So, Pete. Well, Greg pretty much summed it up there. Picky-choosy? No, no, oh, the other Greg. That's Mr. Ruffin. But, uh, no, I was thinking to myself that if that's really what that scripture meant, that doesn't make any sense because obedience encompasses keeping the sacrifice. And I'm reminded of the Corinthians passage that says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision anything but keeping the law right. of God. But right. circumcision is part of the law of God. Exactly. So, must exactly. so we can see just in the context, logically and grammatically, that the, the standard response cannot be correct. I think they're missing the point. What's actually going on is it's saying, you know, if a, a child, you know, that the father says, 
oh, hey, you know, I need you to go help your mom with this. And the child goes, okay, well, I know cleaning my room is a good thing. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go clean my room. And he goes and cleans the room. Yeah. The father says, I asked you to go out You help your mother with this. Oh, but I cleaned my room. Right. So I did something good, so that takes the place of it. Yeah. That's what, what's going on, is saying, you know, there's, if God gives you directive, that's what you need to do. There's other good things you can do. But if he tells you to go do something, you go do that first. Yeah. There it is. It's like when the, uh, no matter how much in the right you may actually be, when a police officer says, put down the handgun and put your hands up, <laughs> you should do that. It kind of reminds me of the Pharisees a little bit. Where Why is that? They're, because they make the, the commandment you know, of, of no effect or however it says it. Because some, of some of them raising, did. Right, some of them did. Because of raising their own standards above that. Okay. And in this case, it almost seems similar to that where it's like, well, I know that God like sacrifice, but it doesn't appear that this was during an appointed time when it was commanded. It was almost like just frivolous, like, well, no, that should make it okay yeah, yeah. Um, to keep all this stuff. Well, it was his Good. excuse that he was offering for not being obedient well, to what God right. Well, yeah, so let's, let's, let's review that. What exactly is the context? Because I think that whole argument thing that we just went through is a waste of time. We shouldn't even try and point out their grammatical error. We should point out, whoa, wait a second. Do you have any idea why Samuel said this? Don't look at what he said. Look at why he said it. What, what happened? Let's start at the beginning. God commanded him to kill men, women, children, and all livestock. Do not let anything live. Now, why would a loving and the compassionate <laughs> one, why would he actually command... I mean, I get it, Greg. This is the God of the Old Testament, the one with the wrath and all. So this is before we get the merciful God. There was they a sends key. a sword out of his mouth and yeah, that's the one in the, in the New Testament. Yes, <laughs> where the blood is up to the bridles of the horses. That let's uh, let's take a look before, before Greg continues. There is one word in this uh, entire chapter that that uh, God uses uh, to talk about. These Amalekites. What, did, did anybody catch it when they were reading it this week? Sinners. 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 He says they're sinners. Kill them all. What does this remind you of in the Master's day? Rome. I'm sorry? Rome. Rome. Okay, good. Good. I like that. And it was in the Master's day, too. That's. Greece? It's very heavy. It's very heavy. And it's, it's got some depth to it. It's not exactly what I was talking about. But the Master said this in one of his. Uh, Little things. Remember the, the, the disciples go, wow, bummer. Did you hear about the guys in the next town? I mean, his house collapsed and all his people died. What was his response? You shouldn't be surprised that they're dying. You should be surprised they're alive. That's right. You shouldn't be surprised when sinners are killed. You should be grateful that you still have breath because we all deserve to die. Go ahead. So the answer to the question when somebody says, why would a loving God command us to kill men, women, and children? And all those innocent animals, let's not forget Peter. It's because that person doesn't understand Amalek. And he doesn't understand that, that the, the command to do that is actually an act of mercy towards his people. Because if we allow Amalek to live and to continue and to thrive and, and flourish to thrive and to flourish if we understand who Amalek is and what his purpose is then we are putting 
our own lives and in jeopardy. And because God is merciful and compassionate towards his people, he's not going to allow that to happen. To quote a movie, <laughs> he put lives at risk, in danger. <laughs> you don't follow, people die, right? <laughs> Mr. Evans said in his talk last year, uh, for him a mask, it would kind of be like killing Hitler in the, like 1933. Mm -hmm. or so mm -hmm. it was an ultimate act of mercy if this would have happened correctly. Exactly right. So it was the God of mercy. And in fact, as we will study tomorrow, and uh, if we get any chance to sit down and talk about the sages and their understanding and the perspective here, that whole Purim story, the book of Esther, would not have needed to be in the Bible because it couldn't have happened. Yes, well, and, I mean, just to tie on to that point, if, if I may Please? expound on what you just said, um, Haman, boo, is seen to be the um, descendant of King Agag because he's called an Agagite. And if you think like of someone of vulnerability and quote-unquote innocence, um, a woman pregnant with child would have to be like one of the heights of that. Um, and yet, it is that woman who is pregnant with the seed of Agag, the Amalekite, who gives birth to, generations later, a man who ultimately is poised to wipe out every Completely. Jew on the entire face of the that's planet. Exactly right. And I think that that's, that's I, I guess, the ultimate point here, is that God, we can't always understand, and nor can we necessarily always apply his commandments outside of his context. This does not mean that we need to go find people groups who do bad things and wipe them all out because we're saving people down the road. God had a specific plan and purpose for this specific people group because it was so demonically inclined. But he is the only one who has the authority to kind of give that instruction, and he did. Saul's mistake was by, was by not doing it, and his one act, it says he took pity on the king. His one act of pity for just one day almost wiped out his entire uh, people. Why, why is Haman called an Agagite and not an Amalekite? Because the cheap seats. Yes, ma'am. Because he was the son of Agag? He was, but why wasn't he called an Amalekite? Because there, there is no Amalekites, right? He wiped them all out. That was a nation. This is a guy. Good job, Katie. There's two or three today. So, back to the story. Wipe him out. He doesn't wipe him out. He leaves this guy alive. And what was his response when you get the famous Samuel showing up? If you wiped everything out, how come I hear the bleeding of sheep and the... Was it the moon the cows? The monk? Was it? Lowing. Lowing? Yeah, I love those cattle, those low cattle. And the tall cattle. Yeah. That's, yeah. And his his response was what? I kept I kept the sheep and the cattle, the best of it for to make the sacrifices. For your God. He keeps saying it. For your God. For your God. Yeah, it's not our God anymore. It's for your God. I know I'm in trouble. It's your God that we're trying to appease. I kept these for your God to make the sacrifices. That's why Samuel says, the sacrifices. The sacrifices. Are you nuts? He wanted you to be obedient. Don't for the sacrifices. You should be ashamed of yourself. All right, I got this guy, then I got that guy. This guy, then that guy. Come. What's interesting is is when you go to the Megiddo Esther, the scroll of Esther, 
and you get to chapter 9, so Haman has now been dead. He was hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Yay! And, <laughs> and the king gives, the, uh, gives permission to Mordecai to send out a new decree that the Jews can defend themselves, right? right. So then it says... Um, Verse 5 of chapter 9, and, Jews, and the Jews struck at their enemies with the stroke of the sword, slaughtering and annihilating. They treated their enemies as they pleased. In Shushan, the capital, the Jews slew and annihilated 500 men, and then it lists the ten sons of Haman, um, uh, the, sons of, the sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay their hand on the spoils. So you have an interesting parallel here where now they are annihilating those who attacked them, you know, under Haman's original decree. Mm -hmm. But they did not take spoils like Saul did. Exactly. Um, so there's a there's kind of a redemption of sorts here exactly. against the the mistake and the error that was Saul. made earlier. By the way, if you're reading that in your Tanakh or in your uh, Chumash, you may actually see the, the page split out so that you can see the, uh, the gallows. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very cool. Wow. Very cool. Uh, let's see. First well, uh, Samuel 15, verse 9. Shaul, as well as the people, took pity on Agag, the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fatted bulls, and fatted sheep, and on all that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them. And I think that verse, I was just pulling it over this year, uh, they, they didn't want to kill the, 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 the good stuff. livestock. So when Samuel comes, he's like, well, what, what is this I hear? And he's like, oh, um, uh, sacrifices. Yeah. That's why we're going to say, yeah, that's a ticket. Yeah, but they weren't yeah. willing to destroy him before. I think it was just a cover-up. Exactly right. Exactly right. It is, uh, it's amazingly sad. Um, who does this, what does the antithesis of this remind you of? Aside from the cool parallel that we get in, in Esther's day. Who didn't want to take any spoils? Who, who made it clear? No one. Abraham. No one was going to make him rich. Not even a sandal thong. Were you next? Who was next? You were next? I, I think you're at the back of the road. Yeah, okay. You're next. Uh, one thing that I, I want to go back to First Samuel and note is um, I had never caught this before, but the extra stuff that's sometimes included in the chumash in the parentheses. Mm -hmm. um, in, in your chumash. In my chumash. This is the gutnik. The gutnik, yes. Um, it says in verse 15, it says, Shaul said, they have indeed brought them from the Amalekites. The people only spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, not for themselves, but for a mitzvah, sacrificed to God your God, so I could not rebuke them. The rest, which, the rest, which were not fit to be sacrificed, we have completely destroyed. And I didn't, I never caught on before. But he says they. He's saying, and, and you know, they did this and this, but we destroyed it. And I, I saw a connection I've never seen before. It reminded me of of Aaron and the the golden calf. It's, he's saying the people did this. You know, I couldn't control them. You're, they're doing this stuff. And, you know, I, I just, I did the best I could. We, I, we, we destroyed it. So I did the right thing afterwards. But you know, they were just out of hand. Now we just trying to do this. And I think um, Samuel actually speaks to that because he says, even if you are little in your own eyes, you are nevertheless the chief of the tribes of Israel. And furthermore, God anointed you king over Israel. So why did you not exert your authority and rebuke them? Is you know, it doesn't matter if Shaul. If he even thought, yeah, they're doing something that's wrong. I used He's to get king. that all the time from my dad. <laughs> my dad only hit me twice in my entire life. 
my father of blessed memory. Um, the first time was when my two little brothers were sitting on the pew next to me, and during the sermon, they pulled out their little matchbox cars and started making noise on the wooden pew. There were no cushions in those days. This is pre-cushion days. <laughs> well, Methodist. I'm sorry? You're Methodist. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Methodist. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I can't hear you, Gregory. Two things. One is a question, but first, one thing that really stuck out to me, because in the ESV, they include the word cheerfully when it says yes. that Agag came. And when you look at the little note, it says, or haltingly, so you compare it to the, the Septuagint, but yeah. the Hebrew is uncertain. And sure enough, it, it was uncertain. There's only two uses of that Hebrew word. But it's that but the rest of the phrase seems to... Oh, man. That is just, like, that is the height of, like, a, an evil villain who, yeah. like, comes and shows up and says something like that. Like, I got, I got ah, past Surely, the, yeah. you know, like... They're not going to kill me. I don't, I don't care anymore, almost. Yeah. Well, because it, doesn't it seem... It says, surely the bitterness of death has passed. Yeah. Almost like, you go ahead and take me out, but I, yeah. I took and care we, of what I needed to beforehand. Yeah, exactly, it's and we like, remember what uh, Rabbi Lavin right. was talking about. Yeah, it was too much to go into that one today. And then, a quick question. Oh, yes, your quick question. See, it's easy to understand why Saul would be swayed by the, the goods and all the, the the best of the land and, and keep that, right? But... I, I'm having trouble figuring out why on earth he would spare the king. Like, he didn't spare anyone else. Why even bother? Um, like, what was, because what benefit is here's that? My, here's my take on that. Okay. In the, in, those, in the Near East cultures, I have read that it was common, and even not just that culture, um, you see this in other cultures as well, that if you went to war and you happened to capture the king, king or whatever of your adversary, that if you perceive them as a worthy adversary, and even though he's your enemy, you were still sort of treated them with respect and dignity because they're a worthy adversary, right? And they were a king, too. And so there's this kind of mutual respect, even though he's your enemy. So This, this so, by the way, is the same sentiment is where we get the whole turning over the sword, you know, at the end of a, a battle that happened... Uh, in the Revolutionary War, you know, uh, yeah, that whole deal. It happened with World War II with the Japanese, and that's that's this is where we get that, you know, giving so, honor to the the fallen king. Exactly. So 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 one one explanation of that is that Saul, when he took pity, it's because he viewed Amalek as a worthy adversary, and so and so he was trying to show some. Respect for the position that he held, even though he was an enemy, and that's why he took him captive, as opposed to destroying him like God had instructed. I think there's another reason. I like that one best. But uh, what was going on in in the land in those days, when when there was capturing going on, when when you went back home, when the the uh, uh, victorious king returned home. They would bring the captured king in chains in the in the procession. It happened in Rome. That's yeah, that's what they would do, and bring them back. And and you know it was it was the best way that the king could be lifted up. The victorious king could be lifted up was to show how he had put down the previous king. 
you know, put the guy's eyes out and make him walk blind. In fact, that's what they did when Babylon took uh, the land, ultimately. Well, Samson, too. They did that's that. correct, yeah. Um, but when they, they took the king's eyes, uh, when, they, when they captured Babylon, and they you know, marched him into, into Babylon. So good. Yes, sir. Well, actually, last but not least. Oh, don't you hate? Oh, I'm sorry. It's good though. All right. So, last comment on this, if you would, uh, take a look at Samuel's response. We're trying to be godly men and women, and uh, to have a zeal for the Lord, as it were. If you'll look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 32, Samuel said, "Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites." And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. I mean, he, I mean, that's, that's probably the best translation of that. I don't know what yours has, uh, but he didn't just skewer him with the sword. He hacked him to pieces. So, a little uh, thing. If you get the opportunity, do the hack mode. Okay. Great. We get another insight, too, I think, into the type of person that Agag and his people are by this verse. This is your sword that's made women childless. Um, again, this was a people group that was almost unnaturally violent. Yeah. Well, isn't that a reference back to what they had done to the, the weaklings? Yes. The weaklings that were made the Hebrew women childless. That's yes. right. Exactly. And it's um, thinking about the Amalekites, since this is our that time of year. Um, the sages talk about how like the attack was um, com- unbelievably hideous. It was completely unprovoked. The Israelites were not going to attack any of the Amalekites' land. And the sages asked the question, like, why does God pick them to be so particularly despicable? And they say it's because the Amalekites not only attacked Israel, which is one thing, but they were actually challenging the authority and sovereignty of God himself. And the thing that was so shocking about it was, unlike Pharaoh, Pharaoh attacked Israel and in a sense challenged God, but he challenged him head on because he, it was all like a contest of wills. Right. I'm bigger than your God. Amalek doesn't do that. Amalek <coughs> attacks the behind to essentially denigrate God, but in a cowardly, despicable way. So it was actually, it was like almost solely for the purpose to shame God yeah. as opposed to defeating him. Um, and so in that sense, it was like the ultimate act of irreverence, the ultimate act of blasphemy in a, in a way. It's much like today, you know, w- w- um, in the sense that like, you know, the world oftentimes picks the one guy who called himself a Christian that did something bad and ended up on television. And that's proof to them that, you know, God isn't real. And he doesn't care. And it's exactly. like, well, that's not fair. Okay, you got a straw man. Congratulations. Yeah. And that's exactly what Amalek does. What'd you call him today? The first terrorist. The first time. Yes, right. I mean, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Jonathan, did I have somebody back here? Yes. Out of all of the enemies of Israel, not a lot of them have any dialogue recorded in the scriptures, mm. with the exception of Agag. He's mm. got a short line in there, and, and he uses the word mar to, in Hebrew to, to uh, explain the bit, uh, bitterness of death. And I think it's interesting that um, mar, well, it's bitter. I mean, that, that word is used all the time. For example, in the Passover, we have the Maror, the bitter herb, right. and then the, the the springs that were that, that the Israelites came to, where there's bitter water. Um, Maror, right? Good. Bitterness, yes. Um, but I think it's also important to understand that this the struggle between Amalek and Israel uh, 
really goes back farther than that first terrorist incident because and, Amalek and and forward after it. Sure. As we right. look at the spirit of Amalek. Absolutely. Because Amalek is the grandson of Esau, mm. of Esau. And uh, and so you have a rivalry between Esau and Jacob. And Esau was always, you know, obviously um, always was showing disregard for the things of God mm-hmm. and was always, you know, at odds with God's plan, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he was a violent man and, and these other things, which you see that those character traits then continue with Amalek, his grandson, and etc. And it even goes back, I mean, you keep going back, you know, uh, between Isaac and Ishmael. And, you know, so this, this, th- there's a deep spiritual uh, uh, struggle here that is the real essence of the story, not just these historical events and the historical people group. Yeah, these are blips on that timeline. These are, th- these are, these are just, um, you know, kind of, events that bring about or, or allow us to see the manifestation of a very uh, intense spiritual struggle that's been there for a long time and will continue to be there until Messiah the son of the right hand, Benjamin until he finally once and for all eradicates Amalek and blots out his What does Paul call this spirit, this man? The man of lawlessness, the anti-Messiah. Mm-hmm. Just to tack on to that point, it seems like this is a, a quintessential example of how rebellion just eventually turns into just pure evil. And Samuel puts it so well, where he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And he starts with Esau, he's rebellious. I mean, going against the, the right of the firstborn and all the things that he did, but then we see what it turns into eventually. Right. When rebellion goes as far as it can, it's just the absolute antithesis of God. Other comments? Yes. When Shaul brought back the oxen, he also made a mistake on his part. Aren't the oxen and sheep that they had defiled since they were a people who do not follow God's Torah? I don't know that, uh, that the Torah tells me I can't use oxen and sheep and whatnot that are owned by someone else. But I know that you cannot uh, bring the hire of a dog into the, into the temple. You cannot offer a sacrifice that is not yours. So I don't know that... Uh, spoils of War, I think, would be okay because you've got examples of that in, in the past. Um, but you certainly couldn't take something and use that as a sacrifice, uh, it, you know, in a non-battle kind of situation. But it's a good thought. It's a good great, thought. great question. Excellent, excellent. All right. Um, before I forget, um, there is a forum party tonight at six. six p.m. at the Spurlocks, and Rick is not here because he's getting ready for the party right now. Uh, it is at their home, and he specifically told me that there was a problem sending out the invitations. It turns out that if you were not at somebody's shower recently or related to somebody who was, <laughs> then you got left out of the invite list. And he specifically mentioned 
that you got skipped, he know, and I know he talked to you, mm -hmm. and you guys got skipped, so he wanted me to A, apologize for that, and B, make it abundantly clear he's expecting to see you tonight. <laughs> In costume. And that's, that's exactly right. Any directions, get into the house, talk to Joshua, right? That's right. And you don't have to bring anything, just show up. And if you don't have a, I mean, that's a good costume right there. I like it. You know, it a good one. Golf guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, but seriously, um, why is everybody if, laughing? At yeah. <laughs> if you've ever been to a forum party, um, it, we get the phrase the whole Megillah because we're going to read the whole scroll of Esther. Um, several of the men are, are going to get the opportunity to do that. Um, we're going to talk uh, and go through some uh, some neat stuff and just have a good time. But it is is really great. It's a lot of fun. It is, and the idea that. Um, this is the only book of the Bible where God is not mentioned outright, um, is going to be brought up. And the whole fact that everything seems to be masked. This, this the queen's a Jew? What? Who knew? <laughs> Mordecai's a Jew? That we knew. Yeah, okay. So I made my, my speech there. And that uh, probably, I don't know if you got an invite either, but as well. Anybody out there? Unless anybody, Jack, you can come to <laughs> and, and if I could, if I could, just in in case uh, somebody is wondering whether we should be uh, observing the, the, the this uh, time of Purim, uh, because I've gotten that question. Some people Absolutely. have said, uh, you know, other Messianics have said, well, it, it's, it's not, not a Leviticus twenty three feast, so right. why should we do this? But here's what the actual scripture says. Um, Therefore, they call these days Purim from the word Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and because of what they had seen concerning this and what has happened to them, the Jews confirmed and undertook upon themselves and their posterity and upon all who might join them. I think that's most of us. Without fail, to observe these two days in their prescribed manner and in their proper time each year. And these days should be remembered and celebrated by every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim should never cease from among the Jews, nor shall their remembrance perish from their descendants. So, um, it is for the Jews and all who joined with them that I mean. we should. And so, I just want to encourage everybody that if there was a doubt, if Amalek was creeping in, uh, creeping in uh, then uh, yeah. we'll just slay that thought right now. Hugh. Hugh, Hugh, that's the other way. Okay, so... Um, there is one other reason why you might want to uh, celebrate Purim. Um, most people don't realize that the Master celebrated Purim. If you look in the early chapters of John, 4, 5, 6, 7, in there, you'll find there's three references to festivals. Uh, one of them uh, says that uh, it was winter time. And if you follow the chronology of John, uh, you, you get to... Uh, before that reference, you get to Hanukkah. And it specifically says, it was a feast of the Jews, it was a festival of lights, that kind of thing. And then you've got this one that's in the winter time. And then the next reference is to Passover. There is only one feast, there's only one festival of the Jews that happens in the winter time that's not Hanukkah. Passover, by definition, is in the spring. So if you look at those references in John, you'll see that he, he practiced, kept, went up to Jerusalem for Hanukkah. He did the same for Purim and then for Passover. So um, 
you uh, you paddle your own canoe if you want to just throw it off and say, eh, that was then, this is now, because, of course, this is now. Chapter 25 of Exodus, I beg your pardon, 28. Um, our hope is to uh, finish up uh, with sufficient time to let you get home, get a nice little nap, spend two, three, four hours prepping, get your costume on. So we're going we're gonna to do this particular portion here in about 30 minutes. I'll have you out of here in about 30 minutes. And when I say I'll have you out of here, that is not a veiled thing to say you have to go home in 30 minutes. I'm saying it very clearly. You have to go home in about 30 minutes, okay? Yeah, so just so there's, you know, we're clear about this. All right, so this is a very cool portion. We've actually been invited to something very special. How would you describe this particular portion in common current terms? It's a dedication ceremony. It's a dedication ceremony. I like that. Give me something else. Building campaign. A, not a building campaign. <laughs> something else. Inauguration. It's an inauguration. I like that. We just had one of those. Very good word. Okay. What else? What an inauguration of what? A new leader. A, a, a new leader. Okay. A position. A position. High Yeah. We got a high priest going in for the very first time. We got to get him set up. You read the uh, Chronicles and Kings and whatnot, and you learn uh, as uh, as you get down through the history of uh, God's people that you know the in the diaspora for a while, come back and whatnot, and things go by the wayside. They find the book. Oh man, this is what we're supposed to be doing. They they start to institute some of the feasts and the festivals again. And in one case, cannot pass over on time. Why not? Say again. Why not? Who was unclean? Specifically, they had to put it off. Why? Death? Those guys? No. There was two guys. Two or three guys. Hanukkah? It wasn't Hanukkah. What was the question? Why was... Passover put off Passover. one year. The king said, we can't do it. Why not? Because they hadn't dedicated. Who? The, priest. the priests had not dedicated. They hadn't cleansed themselves. <laughs> they hadn't dedicated themselves. They didn't go through this seven-day period that we're reading about today. Do you get it? This is an important time. Why, why do we go through the whole oil thing at Hanukkah, right? You only got enough oil for one day. How could you have only enough oil for one day? There's no oil. There was plenty of oil. What was special about this oil? This was kosher. This had been set apart. This had been dedicated. And it takes time to do that. How long does it take? It takes a week. And here's why. We're told this is how you do it. This is how you dedicate something. This is how you set it apart for service, for God's service. Okay? So we've been invited to Aaron's cool ceremony. And it's neat. He's getting all these cool garments. I mean, it's like a guy going into the military. He's finally getting his, his real uniform. He's not in the ROTC thing anymore. He's in the real deal. You know? He gets his real thing, and all the medals that he earned, 
Toilet water. All of those are no good. Now we gotta get and earn the new ones. That's right. Right? So this is a this is a big deal. So he's gonna get the uniform. Tell me, how would you describe his uniform? Camouflage. Camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he well, stuck like out like a, like a, well, like a Jew in, uh, at a kosher west. No. Well, His uniform oh, boy. is black. He was colorful. What colors? Turquoise. Turquoise. Gold. 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 Purple. And then all the stones. Scarlet, red. And we got all kinds of colored stones. How many stones on that plate? Twelve. 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 Why twelve? What the twelve apostles? Twelve apostles, right? No, twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. I mean, right? Clears things up. What? Epaulets. What do you got on there? Show hunt stuff. Show hunt Six and six. Good. Turbans. We got turbans, and actually, if you check the Hebrew, they're to wrap the turbans on these guys right there. It's, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's not, and sometimes the turban gets a little tight, but it's not, here's your baseball cap, here's your woolly cap, here's your watch cap. No, it's it kind of bend, bend down a little bit. Okay, here we go. And they're, they're wrapping it on there. There's even a reference to what looks like maybe boxers. I did see the boxer thing. I've never done this thigh man. before. Waste divine divine mandate for boxers. Okay, so that whole... Situation's been uh, resolved now. We've got a lot of woven stuff. There's a lot of handcrafting that's going on in here. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. A friend of mine is in the IDF was talking about when he was learning Hebrew, um, some of the same words used to describe the Kohen Agadol's outfit are still used today. Like the word Me'il uh, um, is the word for jacket today. But that's uh -huh. the same, like the, the big tunic that he had. Uh -huh. And Ephod and, uh, is actually the Hebrew word modern for vest. So if you're wearing a vest, it's called an ephod. I think it's cool. Right. It's where it sounds weird to us because we're just so removed from the culture and the, and the terminology. But even today, it's I mean, there's still words used around, and it's just that guy's got a really cool ephod. His meal is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it, uh, I don't know. I thought that was pretty. That's good. Cool. That's good. If you did that not yeah. understand Hebrew. If you were not invited into the group, and you were outside, just leaning against the tree, watching this go on, what would you think just happened? New king. Royal. A new what? King. Why would you say a new king? That's exactly what I was thinking. Why would you say that, Mel? Just. The ornamentation, the ceremony, the, yeah. all the yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, King well, wears the robe and has the scepter and the crown. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and did Aaron have a crown? He did. Oh, he had a tiara. He had a tiara. Yeah. Yeah, he did. All right. So the the king is anointed when he takes office. Was Aaron anointed? King gets a crown. Aaron's got a crown. King gets some kind of cool deal. Aaron got a cool deal. They sacrifice animals. I mean, they're they're making big about this guy. Yeah, we're not even going to get into the right thumb, right ear, right foot thing. We're going to do that. The nicest those blood things. I don't think the king. They don't do that with the king. But again, if you're an outsider, right, no, I think I'm you would think it would be even more. So it's like 
What? Good point. Look at all that. We've got even more going on. Going on. Okay, we got one here, then here, then here. He's standing, Actually, here, here. He's standing at the entrance of the nicest tent in the camp. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, this is yeah. this little pup tent deals, but this look at this guy's tent. It's like a palace. That's exactly and, right. And all his sons are there, too. It's just like he has this procession. Exactly. Good. Or the groomsmen, yeah. He has the breastplate. I don't know the stones, but the breastplate with all the names of the tribes about yeah. his heart. It's like he's, he's representing all of them. Not only representing, he's responsible for. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So m- even more so like a king. And that was actually what we were talking about um, this week. It uses a specific phrase like a signet ring. And a signet ring is, is, a, is a representation. You bet. And it's cool that you see like the signet ring. Um, there are almost like two ways to look at it. One, he has the names of the children of Israel. So in a sense, he is representing them before God. And what he does, the way that he acts, it specifically says that he's going to wear this crown and it's going to provide atonement for the people. Right. In other words, like he just simply by being obedient the way he's dressed is actually going to affect the way that God treats the people of Israel. But then Juliana pointed out that a signet ring, um, in a sense, also carries with it like a, some, uh, the idea of like it's kind of going the other direction in a sense. So it's like the signet idea, other way to look at it might be not that he's representing the people, but he's representing God to the people. So he is God's signet ring because you know the people of Israel are in a sense his his image to the world. Exactly. And he is, and, and Aaron himself is a representative of God to that image. You bet. So he is the mediator, the exactly. link between God and people, which I mean even as, as husbands and fathers, um, we do not have as dramatic a position, but we have a similar function in our families as being that, that representative link between right. God and our families, and the way that we act is, has a direct effect on them. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yes, sir. If I could add to that um, and tie into the other passage, um, when the children of Israel uh, wanted a king, King Saul, uh, they rejected God as king. Mm-hmm. So, to, to your point, um, who is case, it that said they rejected God? Samuel. God. God said. So God told Samuel. Yeah. To God, God, Sam said. He said to Samuel, "It's okay. They're not. They're not rejecting you. They're, they're rejecting you." So, uh, in this case, Aharon was the ambassador to the king, hmm. and so it was a reflection. Man, if this is what the ambassador gets, the king must be really Amen. something. That's exactly right. And, and that's, I think, what we should try and come away from with, right? If, if we're seeing this from afar, then it looks like some guy just got put in charge as the king. And in fact, if he's the representative of the king, if he's not the king himself, then the king must be even more full of glory. Unbelievable. It's a big wow. deal. White, your dad was first. Um, many times in the life of a nation, when they're anointing a new king, a new leader, it's a rallying cry for yeah. the people, right? Yeah. The people take pride in the fact that, you know, uh, this is a leader of their nation, whatever. That's actually why the Continental Congress demanded that there be an inauguration when Washington took office the first time. So the people could. Route. Be buoyed, right? You bet. So it's interesting. We have a we have Psalm one thirty three uh, that in the Hebrew starts with a familiar phrase, Right. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Verse two that we never read. 
like the precious oil upon the head running down upon the beard, the beard of Aharon, running down over his garments, so the dew of Hermon descends upon the mountains of Zion, for Adonai has commanded the blessing, may there be life forever. Amen. So the famous Hinematov song that we all like to, you know, uh, dance to is is in the in the context it's 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 this it's pointing back to this event yeah. where Aaron is being anointed and the in the oil runs down, you know, his beard and his in the garments and and it's hearkening to this idea of unity and, you know, so anyway, yeah. I'm just together. connecting the dots. I love it. It's represented by like all the names being on one thing. That's it's right. That unity of That's the right. Mm -hmm. And the one guy has those names all over him. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering how Moshe felt on this, because Moshe's name isn't mentioned at all in this portion. That's true. All over which place. is rare. Right, which is very rare. And, and up until this point, Moshe's been the... The, the reflection of God for yes. people. And he's fine with it. He's the meekest man that ever lived. So, yeah. so just to imagine like, him watching his his, old, his older brother yes. and he's kind of observing and, and watching, watching his older brother get more independence and hit in his role and what he has don't, and, don't and to humble himself. Yeah, himself. don't you think that he kind of was sitting on the on the side there just proud as can be? Yeah. That's, that's my brother. <laughs> I'm just thinking that's cool. Well, it's hard work paying off. Yeah. He's been the one carrying the weight the whole time. <laughs> it's true. And now yeah. his hard work is paying off very nice, <laughs> yeah. passing on to his brother, yeah. who's passing on to his sons, and then therefore hopefully spreading and through other people. And to this point, Moshe Rabbeinu <laughs> has already been on the mountain because we already have the tabernacle. So he's already seen it. So he knows what goes on in there. <laughs> He's already seen the guy in there that's going to do this kind of stuff. So he's like, man! <laughs> At least I think. Now, I was in the, uh, are you? After you. <laughs> it wasn't a stretch. <laughs> this man making a bid or what? Um, I was in the army. If you, if you, uh, if you think army... Dress uniform. What color comes to mind? Green. 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 And the army dress green uniform is in fact green. Green pants. Green jacket. When we dress up in the army, we put on the dress greens. If it's for something really special, the army guys put on their dress blues. And it's a dark blue jacket, light blue pants. The light blue pants are because we started out in cavalry days. And you take your jacket off and work with the pants all the time, and they got faded. So the pants were always lighter than the jacket. So dress blues. But if it's really top shelf, you don't wear dress greens or dress blues. You wear mess blues. And your mess blues are blue pants, same light blue, with the uh, stripe down the side, right? And you've got, uh, I'm sorry, um, a short waistcoat with tails. It could be just short waist or with the tails. And the bow tie. It's amazing. <laughs> 
But if it was really top shelf. If you if you were if you were invited to the White House, you wouldn't go in your dress greens. You wouldn't go in the dress blues. You wouldn't even go in mess blues. You'd go in mess whites. White pants. Short white tails and a white bow tie. <laughs> Very cool. Finally made it up to the Coast Guard. Yeah! <laughs> but I just I just wanted to show you that even our own military, and I know the Air Force can you know tell the same kind of story, right? Even our own military these days puts on extraordinary, almost gaudy uniform for unbelievably special occasions or in order to honor someone. And, and we're, we get a ringside seat to see this actually happen the very first time. And remember, he just got elected for how long? It's not a four-year stint. This is a life. I mean, he's. It's a big test. That's it. For life. You, then you. Supreme Court judges can be dismissed, according to our Constitution. I don't want anybody to think that they're in for life and we're stuck with them. We're not. We just don't have the chutzpah to push them out. According to our what? Constitution. Sorry, I know. It's a new document. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have talked about this as a community, but with us being new, and this, when we went through this the first time as a study, and I'm reading this, the, the first thing that came to my mind was the Pope. Yeah, exactly. Right. His garment. Especially these days, he's in the news. Exactly. And, 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 and then he wears a keeper. And wears a keeper. <laughs> and, and so when I had the opportunity to talk to my fellow Catholic brother, yeah. and he's like, you know, your Bible's not the same. We don't. I go, do you know that you're probably more like a Jewish person than I am? Exactly. You know? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm going, look at your Pope. Look at your priests. They're yeah. almost dressed. I mean, it's not identical, but they're dressed. Well, you know what's unique? You're exactly right, Jerry. The Pope has vestments yes. that are absolutely unique to the Pope. Exactly. No other person is allowed to wear those, and the Pope has regulations as far as when he's allowed to wear those particular vestments. It's an amazing thing. Well, and, and you just brought up too earlier about the you know him being that intermediary between his people and God. To me, that that's the Pope right there. I mean, that's exactly. the right thing. Where did they get that? And where did they get that? We know and, where they got. And why it. are they why are they so <laughs> shocked? Why is it absolutely only the second or third time? And one of them actually doesn't count if you know Catholic history. Why are they so freaked out that the Pope wants to retire? It's a because it's a lifetime position. Well, where have I seen that before? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yes, sir. It was one of the when since you've been talking about uniforms, I, it's cool because when there's I was looking at this psychology study about like social engineering and part of the what's involved with that is the uniform because of how much of an effect it has on on our our psyche when it comes to understanding somebody or understanding authority. Yeah, and it was just fascinating because they did things like they put people in doctors' uniforms and they had them take a test and they actually did a lot better than the people that were in like a different uniform. And on top of all that, it's cool that God puts in place the commandments against dressing like the priest, yes. uh, against wearing the similar threads and, and or even making perfume that smells the same as, exactly. as that yes and because of how important it is that he is recognizable that way. and yes and recognizable exactly right and and really doesn't even the apostolic scriptures speak of what we're to wear 
even mm -hmm. spiritually, what garments we're to put on daily, yeah, and how our walk and our appearance should be unique and different. Exactly. Being able to even distinguish the men. It's sometimes it's easy for women because you can tell when something's modest or immodest, but with men, what does distinguish us? But things like tzitzit and yeah. you know, wearing a head covering or something like something. that. It just yeah. makes you look different and stand exactly. out. Exactly. You know, handgun. Yeah. <laughs> jacket. 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 Yeah. That's concealed carry. That's what I'm exactly. um, Going back to whoever was saying about um, Moses watching his yes. uh, brother get all this stuff. Um, really, I, I think it's, I think I look at it the opposite way. I, f I really feel for Aaron being the older brother. Mm -hmm. And Moses is like so special yeah. throughout you know, all of this time. Yeah. Um, he is the leader. He gets to talk to God. He, had, he has had several experiences with God. Aaron's got nothing. And he's the exactly. older one. So I know from personal experience and it was his what that's heart. like. And, and it's hard to watch your younger sibling be like singled out for great success yeah. or like they have special skills that you don't have or they, they just seem to be doing great in life for, for no reason at all. It's like, hey, God, excuse me, what about me? Um, and I, I think it was probably hard for him. And then, but, but you know, you have a choice as an older sibling to, to either feel the bitterness in that, like, where, you know, Where's my hundred dollars? Yeah. What about me? Yeah. Embrace or, or embitter. Yeah. Or or really like get behind your sibling and root for them. Yeah. Like look look at look at them. Look how successful they are. And I'm I'm here for you. Whenever you know whatever you need me to do, I'm here for you. And I think that must have been the kind of person that Aaron was. We never see him complaining about it. We never have really a whole lot of dialogue. From him. Yeah. And then God has something special for him. In fact. You could say even more so than Moses because Aaron's is, is generational. Moses exactly right. multi-generational. You're right. Um, you, you bring up a good point, and uh, you know, back to to the psalm. I read that this morning too. Um, it's interesting that there is one thing for which the sages say Aaron is absolutely is part and parcel his persona, and what is he? peacemaker? He is the peacemaker, right? He is the one who brings peace, and peace brings unity. Hence, you know, the, the 137. Good. I was just, just going to add on to that, and it seems like perhaps that was in play when just chapters later we had the sin of the golden calf where Aaron kind of blows it, and it's when Moshe is, is on the mountain. Like, it's when his brother is, is being yeah. having this incredible experience with God his younger brother. Mm -hmm. and who knows if that contributed at all yeah, to just that sort of missing what was important in that one moment and then this huge sin that we're to remember every day. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and uh, I often wonder, um, Moshe Rabbeinu has some, some very cautious words at times to impart the importance of the step-by-step -step rituals that were to be done and at one point gets upset because he thinks they've skipped something or done it wrong and my goodness we already lost people for stuff like this what are you doing you know kind mm -hmm. of deal yeah. um, but it's interesting uh, when the plague comes right who is it that has to do as as Joshua was saying who has it who is it that has to act as the the mediator between the people and run through the plague 
with the incense and get ahead of it. Who is it that stops the plague? Aaron. It's Aaron. Yeah. So last point on this, uh, this issue, uh, and that is these fabulous garments that we've read about, how often, if you've read the rest of the book, how often do the people get to see them? How often does this high priest, the Kohen Gadol, get to wear them? Once. I think it's once a year deal. Once a year deal. He's got some, uh, a, you know, a, a more day-to-day type deal, but once a, once a year. And what what day of the year would that be? Yom Kippur. Yeah. Oh no no! He he puts on the whole deal, does his deal, takes it off, does the white thing, goes in and does his thing. He's got to get it all on. So they're going to see it that day, but yeah, much of what he does for himself and his family is just in the white linen deal. You know, so there's a, a combo of I'm very um, bare. I've got you know just normal, common clothing, and now I'm I've got the whole deal representing you know coming in for the people and, and performing the atonement. Pope. That was interesting when you're relating Aaron to peacemaker. Yes, sir. And it just reminded me when Yeshua said, Blessed are the peacemakers, mm-hmm. so they will be called sons. Sons of God, of God. that's right. Mm-hmm. I know that was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, should, should we not be like God, our Father, in that He made the peace, right? His name is Shalom. He is. And uh, on Yom Kippur, we flip that about throughout the liturgy. We'll say, God, who brings the peace, or who makes the peace, or who is the peace. So he's not only the one who brings peace, but he is the peacemaker, because he's got to make the peace, and it's he himself who is the peace. And you flip that around and say, well, he's the one who demands the sacrifice. He's the one who brings the sacrifice. In fact, he he is the sacrifice. You see what I mean? Because that sacrifice brings the people. It is the peace. Other comments on this portion? Yes. Two. One, two. Yes. Um, what's interesting about this, uh, we have this really long, bless you, really long, long, drawn out discussion of this inauguration ceremony and all of these incredible garments. And over and over and over again, it's about being set apart. It's about being special enough to enter into the very holy and special presence of God. And at the end of chapter 29, after all of this stuff has been discussed in extensive detail, um, God himself says, I shall sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar, and Aaron and his sons shall I sanctify to minister to me. And it's interesting because up to this point, you do this, you do this to sanctify them. You do this, you do this to sanctify them. You do this to sanctify the altar, you just sanctify them to meeting, etc., 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 all about sanctification. And it's amazing how, at the end of it, God says, but I'm the one who sanctifies them. And it's cool because we see in this, like, it, it's, a, it's an allegory of sorts, it's an image um, of what God is doing with us in that we have all of these things that we are supposed to do. Yes. We have to be obedient. We have to act righteously. We have to work out our sanctification with fear and trembling. And we do all these things, and yet ultimately, who is the one who sanctifies us? It's God. It's God. It's like in the Deuteronomy where it says, um, it will be righteousness for you. It doesn't say, you do these things and you will be righteous. It says it will be righteousness for you. It's, again, the idea that 
It's God who work, ultimately it's God who's at work in us. It's God who's achieving the, the work. And yet through his wisdom and understanding, he chooses to do the work through actions that we do. Because he told us to do them, and now we get to be obedient, and he tells us that we did a good job and makes it look like we did it. But ultimately, but all the credit did. goes to him. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's such a cool picture of, um, of this idea of salvation and of sanctification in that um, it doesn't absolve us from doing something. I mean, this is an incredibly long, long list of things that yeah. are supposed to be done, yeah. but it doesn't change ultimately who's responsible. Exactly right. Good. And if, even just to follow up on that, I was going to say, now we have Aaron and his, he, he's looking very royal, and what happens, but he gets blood sprinkled on him. <laughs> you know? And that, I think that, that really is the focus here, is the, the blood. That's what, how God sanctifies. He uses the blood in this case, which harkens back to Hebrews 13 that we just read about the blood of Yeshua being what sanctifies us. Mm-hmm. That's good. And One sec. I'm just going to say, when you were explaining that, Greg, it uh, made me think back to when Yeshua was in front of Pilate, and one of the people in the crowd yelled out, let his blood be on us and on our children. Mm-hmm. Whole crowd? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I got you. I got you. Uh, something I just thought of going back to Samuel 15, mm-hmm. uh, verse 27. Samuel turned, away to, Samuel turned away to leave, and Saul grabbed the hem of his tunic and gave it to Samuel said to him, I know that the kingship is your way from you today, and has given it to your fellow who is better than you. And obviously, that's David. Mm-hmm. But I think what I just thought of what we can infer from that is Saul had an opportunity to be in the line to Messiah. And from this mistake, now he's. Mm. And he went to David. Yeshua the Benjamin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> kind of thought I had. Yeah. Well, Benjamin is a picture of Yeshua, but yeah. he's also a picture of others too. But um, I, obviously, I think you're right. Saul lost his opportunity. We, I don't think we know what that could have looked like. Yeah. But let's not speculate too far, but you're exactly right. Now, before these two guys go, just let's bring up the whole tearing thing, right? Because I, I opened this morning with, this afternoon, with what a lot of times we hear in the church as some things that seem to be taken out of context. Another one we hear is that when Yeshua is on trial, I think at night, but I may be wrong about that, and he asks him flat out, tell us, are you the Mashiach? And they get a yes answer. What does the high priest do? He tears his garments. He tears his garments. Do, do we have any need for any more testimony? And what does the church tell us? Well, he, that's it. That's it. We're done. The whole priesthood thing now is done. Why? Because he tore those, those priestly garments that we've read about in this portion. Tell me, now that you've read the book, is that possible? Is it possible? Is it not possible, Doctor? Is it possible that the the high priest actually was wearing these garments while they were in, I'm going to call it a mock trial or a mockery, a 